Please pray with me. Oh, gracious Father, we thank You for the blessed occasion of the gathering of Your people. We thank You for the promise of Your Son that when we gather in His name, He'll be with us. Oh, Father, would You bless Your people this day? Would You feed Your sheep? Would You give us what we need? Would You encourage us and build us up in the most holy faith for Your glory, for the honor of Your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray? Amen. Would you please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. <clears throat> the epistle of St. Paul the Apostle to the Church of the Thessalonians. We'll read in a moment, but let me remind you that though it's a great blessing that we have the Holy Scriptures in our own language and can sit with them all upon our laps and read them, most of our early brethren didn't have that privilege. And so the way they experienced Holy Scripture generally was through public reading. And so anytime Holy Scripture is read aloud, you should be blessed. And you should seek a blessing in the reading of the Holy Scripture. We're reading for a specific idea, but to get the idea in context, I want to read the beginning of Paul's letter. Imagine getting a letter from the Apostle Paul, from Silvanus, from Timothy. Well, that's what they got. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus and to the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ... Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, 
But as, as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. We'll stop there. God gave the great Apostle Paul a difficult assignment. Paul had the task of training Christian converts from paganism on how to live so that there would be a true agreement between their new faith and their conduct. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle to the heathen, the apostle to the pagans. And we see all throughout the Pauline writing a close connection between Christian faith and Christian life. In Paul's teaching, the Thessalonians' acceptance of the gospel message carried with it an obligation to live a life consistent with what their faith professed. We never see Paul content just to gain large numbers of followers or converts without seeking to induce them to walk more worthily of the Lord that they professed. He wants them to live up to the high calling of Christ upon their lives. For, listen, saints, for for the true believer... (laughs) The character of daily life is never a matter of indifference. The year? For the true believer, the character of daily life can never be a matter of indifference. Don't you want your walk to match your talk? I do. And aren't you disgusted? And disturbed when someone's walk doesn't match their talk? And don't you say, I don't want to be like that. I want my walk to match my talk. So we find Paul here in the introduction to his first letter to the saints at Thessalonica, reminding them of who they are in Christ reminding them of what they've been through, 
reminding them of what he's been through, reminding them of what they've been through together, and then summarizing briefly the content of his charges and exhortations to them when he was there before. And and what was it? What was it that he exhorted them and charged them with when he was there before? Well, look back to verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. He writes, We exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his children, that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. The New International Version translates it, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into His kingdom and glory. The Net Bible renders it, exhorting and encouraging you and insisting that you live in a way worthy of God who calls you to His own kingdom and to His glory. Now, The Greek term that all these translations render as worthy is oxios, oxios, meaning suitably, appropriately, in a manner worthy of, worthily. Now, what do you think about that word, worthy? Well, I don't know if you're like me, but historically, I have a problem with that word worthy. And it probably stems from what I believe to be a proper theological emphasis. In this church, we herald a high doctrine of God. We regularly proclaim the high truths of His supreme holiness, of His unchanging goodness, of His vast power, of His absolute sovereignty, of His infinite omniscience. We preach about those things. We teach about those things here regularly. And in contrast to this high doctrine of God... We preach and teach what we believe to be the truth about humanity, about fallen man, his fallenness, his unholiness, his sinfulness, his unworthiness. What we sometimes describe as a low doctrine of man. A high doctrine of God and a low doctrine of man. And listen, this this doctrinal um, emphasis is often what differences us from other believers who rarely speak of any of our Father's attributes except His love. That's That's often what differences us. So, Because of our theology, because of our high view of God and our low view of man, that word worthy can be troubling. It can be troubling to us because, beloved, listen, aren't we aware 
of how unworthy we are. We sin-tainted sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. Aren't we aware of how unworthy we are? Before the blinding radiance of His infinitely holy glory? We are. We are. The dictionary defines worthy as having adequate or great merit, character, or value, a worthy successor, of commendable excellence or merit, deserving, worthy. And here are the synonyms that the dictionary listed. Listen, meritorious, worthwhile, estimable, Excellent, exemplary, righteous, upright, honorable, worthy. And Christian, listen, what I'm saying is this. I'm saying that if you are anything like me, then when you read an exhortation, an apostolic exhortation, to walk worthy of God, there's a real practical danger that you just might cop out and disregard that exhortation or that apostolic command because your theological predisposition, your theological emphasis makes it seem like an absurd impossibility. Do you understand what I'm saying? Walk worthy of God. Well, I can't do that. (laughs) Nobody can. Oh, woe is me. I'm so low. I'm a worm. Next page, next chapter. Saints, listen, we dare not. We dare not let our linguistic sensibilities obscure the apostolic exhortation. We must not. Listen, we cannot. There's an apostolic word here for us. If I say within myself, oh, I can never be worthy of God. Am I not copping out and thereby negating, disregarding, or ignoring the apostolic exhortation? I'm telling you that for people with our theological predisposition, this is a risk. I believe so. And listen, I don't want to do that. Do you? I don't want to do that. I don't want to negate, disregard, or ignore the apostolic exhortation. And if I would not, I'm obliged to try harder, to dig deeper, to get past my prejudices of language, and to understand what the great apostle is asking. Because, listen, listen, Paul was an Augustinian before Aurelius Augustine. Paul was a Calvinist before John Calvin. And our high doctrine of God and our low doctrine of man is not novel. It's not new. It's as old as creation. Listen, we know we're not worthy. 
of anything but condemnation. Do you know that? We know that. But beloved, the doctrine of salvation by grace, listen, the doctrine of salvation by grace jettisons any pretense of human worthiness. So hear me please. I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm not. But by His grace, listen, He has made me of great worth. Think with me. What is something worth? What is something worth? Well, I heard a wise man say, well, it's worth what you pay for it. It's worth what you pay for it. And beloved, you know that we were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain living received by your tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You were not ransomed by perishable things like silver or gold, but by precious blood like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, namely Christ. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. How precious is the blood of Jesus? What's it worth? What's it worth? Well, listen... (laughs) It's worth enough to secure forever the salvation of the saints. For we are now justified by His blood. And we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Romans 5 verse 9. It's worth enough to secure forever the salvation of the saints. Brothers and sisters, do you understand that there's a sense in which our salvation is transactional? We fallen human beings saved by the grace of God are described as having been redeemed. Galatians 3.12 and 4.5, Titus 2.15, 1 Peter 1.18, redeemed. We are described as having been ransomed. 1 Timothy 2.6 We're described as having been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20 and 7.23 Redeemed, ransomed, bought. Now, here a question. Was Almighty God swindled? Was Almighty God swindled? Did the high God of heaven, the sovereign creator of the universe, did Almighty God overpay for us when He redeemed us, when He ransomed us, when He bought us with a price? Was He swindled? The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John chapter 3, 
Verse 16. Did God get what he paid for? Or was he swindled? Beloved, please hear me. Almighty God cannot be swindled. He bought exactly what he wanted. He got, and he's getting exactly what he paid for. So let me say something that might seem intuitive, but some of you might need to hear it. You may not feel worthy. Christian, listen, you may not feel worthy, but you're worth a lot. You may not feel worthy, Christian, but you are worth a lot. There's a noun that we sometimes use as a verb. It's this word, treasure. When we value something greatly, we say that we treasure it. And don't you see that what we treasure, verb, becomes our treasure, Noun. Interesting. I can remember when Nina was a little girl. When she was getting underfoot and wearing her mama down. And Jeannie would say to her, I'm going to throw you in the trash can. And she would say, no mama, I'm a treasure. And surely she is. Beloved, do you understand that when the God that spoke the universe into existence treasures something, it becomes a treasure? When God values something, it is valuable because He values it. That little word is... You know that little word is, is a verb. It's, it's what's called a being verb. For listen, it metaphysically describes reality. It describes what is, what bees. And friend, when God values something, it be valuable. When God values something, it is valuable. When God treasures something, it is treasure. And He has never overpaid, ever. He has never been conned or cheated or swindled. He always buys what He wants and He always gets what He pays for. So let me say that one more time. For Christian, you may not feel worthy. I understand that. But you are worth a lot. You're worth a lot. Say, listen, what are you worth to Almighty God? How much does He value you? How much does He treasure you? How much does He love you? Well, hear my favorite verse again. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And here, 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. 1 John 4, 9. Beloved, listen, if we are His, if we are His, He has valued us. He has treasured us. He has redeemed us, ransomed us, bought us with a great price. He has declared by His action that we are of great worth. He has declared by His action that we are worthy. We're worth something, friend, to God. Let me tell you this, saints. When God saves us, he adopts us into His family. He calls us sons and daughters. And because our Father, listen, because our Father is King of kings, we are princes and princesses. Dukes of grace. Duchesses of mercy. Beloved, we are royalty. The apostolic exhortation to the saints at Thessalonica and to us is walk worthy of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 Walk worthy of God. And, and listen, this is not an isolated exhortation. Paul doesn't just exhort the Thessalonians this way. Writing to the saints at Ephesus, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Ephesians 4, verse 1. To the Colossians, he writes, Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1, verse 10. And as we've seen in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, walk worthy of God. Let me tell you what I think this means. Or, or at least a way to, to a lens through which maybe to try to understand this. I believe the apostolic message in these texts is this. Act like what you are. Act like royalty. Act like what you are. Act like royalty. Because we live in the West, um, in North America, when we think of royalty, probably our minds go to Britain. When we think of the British royals, even in this country that threw off the British bonds, we remain fascinated by the royals. And I, listen, I don't know the details of their private lives, but God reveals secrets. 
And the reputation of Britain's Queen Elizabeth II is a reputation of gracious faithfulness, the reputation of one who conducted herself in a noble, regal, decent, worthy manner. That's her reputation. Contrast this with the reputation of her son, King Charles III. His reputation is a reputation of pettiness, jealousy, unfaithfulness, and confessed adultery. His brother Andrew, Duke of York, has a reputation of such shameful philandering and unfaithfulness that before her death, his mother, Queen Elizabeth II, had to stop all of his royal duties. And a bill is pending before the British Parliament to strip him of all his royal titles. Well, listen, this is at least one lens through, my, through which we might try to understand the meaning of this text. But listen, the idea is this. We are sons and daughters of the High King. Dukes of grace. Duchesses of mercy. Princes and princesses in the kingdom of the Most High. And the world is watching. The paparazzi are out. The tabloid press is watching. And the apostolic exhortation is, act like what you are. Act like royalty. Walk worthy of your calling. Walk worthy of your Beloved, do you see how wrong it is to read into these worthy walking texts any kind of work salvation idea? As if Paul, on behalf of God, is telling Christians to become worthy, to work for their salvation. It's not here. Paul doesn't do that because, you know, he's a grace man. Are you a grace man? I'm a grace man. He, a persecutor of the saints, experienced radical grace. And that's what he's all about. And he's the apostle to the pagans, to the Gentiles. (laughs) He's about as far from works righteousness as you can get. Paul is. He's a grace man. The work of the saints, you know, is to believe They asked Jesus, what can we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus says, this is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. John 6, 29. If Paul wants us to work, his instruction for that is in his letter to the Philippians, where he instructs Christians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Or in Ephesians 4.28 where he writes, Let him that stole steal no more. Rather, let him labor, working with his hands that that which is good, that he might have to give to him that needeth. 
The Pauline theology is this, listen, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. So, beloved, listen, please understand with certainty, our text is not about working to become worthy of God's salvation. In light of the unified teaching of Holy Scripture, that is absurdity. The Pauline exhortation is to live as what we are, sons and daughters of the High King, royalty. Listen, there are things royal should not be involved with. Just because those things have a way of denigrating the crown. And beloved, there are some things that we should avoid because they're beneath us. It's beneath us. Listen, if you interact on the internet, be careful what you say. Choose your words wisely and let your words be weighty and few. Remember, we are children of a great king. And what you say gets associated with him. The 19th century Scottish Baptist minister Alexander McLaren said of our text, Walk worthy of God, this, listen. Here we have the whole law of Christian conduct in a nutshell. There may be many detailed commandments, but they can all be deduced from this one. We are lifted up above the region of petty prescriptions and breathe a bracing mountain air. Instead of regulations, very many and very dry, we have a principle which needs thought and sympathy in order to apply it. And it is to be carried out by the free action of our own judgments. Walk worthy of God. Act like a prince. Act like a princess. For that is what you are. When I was growing up, every fifth Sunday, you know, some months have five Sundays, every fifth Sunday, we'd have dinner on the grounds. Followed by singing all afternoon, Mike. And often visiting gospel singers would join. And this was followed in the evening by foot washing and the Lord's Supper. Yeah, we were those kind of Baptists. And it was at one of those afternoon Singings, I'm pretty sure that I first heard the Ira Stanfield gospel song, Unworthy. Do you know it? Well, I'll spare you my singing, but the lyrics have been etched on my mind for many years. 
And they go like this. Unworthy am I of the grace that He gave. Unworthy to hold His hand. Amazed that a king would reach down to a slave. This love I cannot understand. Unworthy. Unworthy. A beggar in bondage and alone. But He made me worthy. And now by His grace, His mercy has made me His own. My sorrow and sickness laid stripes on His back. My sins caused the blood that was shed. My faults and my failures have woven a crown of thorns that He wore on His head. Unworthy. Unworthy. A beggar in bondage and alone. But He made me worthy. And now, by His grace, His mercy has made me His own. Unworthy am I of the glory to come. Unworthy with angels to sing. I thrill just to know that He loved me so much. A pauper, I walk with a king. Unworthy, unworthy. A beggar in bondage and alone. But He made me worthy. And now by His grace... His mercy hath made me His own. If you you don't know that song, find it. Our spirits join to adore the Lamb. Oh, that our feeble lips could move in strains immortal as His name and melting as His dying love. Was ever equal pity found? The Prince of Heaven resigns His breath and pours His life out on the ground to ransom guilty worms from death. Rebels, we broke our Maker's law. He from the threatenings set us free, bore the full vengeance on His cross and nailed the curses to the tree. The law proclaims no terror now in Sinai's thunders roar no more. From all his wounds, new blessings flow, a sea of joy without a shore. Here we have washed our deepest stains and healed our wounds with heavenly blood. Blessed fountain springing from the veins of Jesus, our incarnate God. In vain our mortal voices strive to speak compassion so divine. Had we a thousand lives to give, a thousand lives should all be thine. Please stand with me for prayer. Saint. You may not feel worthy. That's probably a good thing. But let me remind you, you're worth a lot. God gave His own Son to save us. Let's pray. Lord of cloud and fire, I am a stranger with a stranger's indifference. My hands hold a pilgrim's staff. My march is Zionward. Mine eyes are toward the coming of the Lord. 
My heart is in your hands without reserve. You have created it, redeemed it, renewed it, captured it, bought it, conquered it. Keep it from every opposing foe. Crush in it every rebel lust. Mortify every treacherous passion. Annihilate every earthborn desire. All faculties of my being vibrate to your touch. I love you with soul, mind, body, strength, might, spirit, affection, will, desire, intellect, understanding. You are the perfection of all perfections. All intellect is derived from you. My scanty rivulets flow from your unfathomable fountain. Compared with you, the sun is darkness. All beauty, deformity, all wisdom, folly. The best goodness, faulty. You are worthy of an adoration greater than my dull heart can yield. Oh, invigorate my love that it may rise worthily to you. Tightly entwine itself around you. Be allured to you. Then shall my walk be endless praise. In Jesus' name, amen.